It's an honor to be back in this pulpit today. Thank you for, for inviting me back. I, I was surprised how many of you folks are able to get back in your uniforms. Did, <laughs> did you see that? I think that's great. And, and it, was, it was cool to see how the guys in uniform stood up straight and walked like they're marching again and everything. That's good for you guys. I, you notice I'm not wearing mine. <laughs> well, thank you for all the kind things you have said to and about those of us who have worn the uniform of our nation's military service. You've been very kind to us today. And while each of the branches of service has its own unique culture and way of doing what it does, one thing we have in common is every one of us have gone through some kind of a basic training. So that, that's a commonality that brings us all together. And that basic training, whether we were enlisted or an officer, was a time of stress. And that time of stress, we could kind of collectively put that under the heading of boot camp. We, we've all been through that. Whether, whatever the formal name is, whether it was officer candidate school or, or whatever you all call it in the other services, uh, we, we call it boot camp. And today I've titled the message, Boot Camp for Eternity. And the text is 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Boot Camp for Eternity. I had enjoyed my first two years of college too much and was invited not to come back. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I see some heads nodding. Others have experienced the same thing. Uh, and so it, that was back in 1966, and at that time, everybody who didn't have a deferment was getting drafted. And so um, you were drafted into the Army, and I knew that my, I was about to be drafted. It was even before the, the number system. You just got drafted. And the war in Vietnam was building up so quickly that we all knew we were going to go to Vietnam. And so Papa said, Joe, join the Navy. And I said, okay, Pop, because he was implying that the Navy got to eat three square meals a day and sleep in a bunk, and the other services sometimes didn't get to do that. And so I went down. We lived in Roswell at the time. And I went down to, to see the, the Navy recruiter at the... Uh, uh, courthouse in Roswell, and when I walked into the Navy recruiter's office, there was this big fat chief sitting behind a desk, and, uh, and he said, what can I do for you, young man? And I said, well, I've come to join the Navy. And he said, well, all right, but he said, it's, uh, it's uh, chow time. And so he said, if you'll come back at 1,300, I'll, I'll sign you up. And, and I subtracted 12, and I knew 1,300 meant 1 o'clock. And so uh, so I said, okay, I could do that. And I came back at one o'clock to join the Navy and he wasn't there. And so while I was waiting for the big fat chief to show back up, I walked around the corner to the Marine recruiter. And there was a sharp looking staff sergeant shaped like a wedge with his uniform crisp 
and good-looking, had a nice-looking haircut, dealing with a couple of other guys, and a minute he got through with them, and he looked at me and said, what can I do for you, young man? And I said, well, I've got to join one of the services, thought I'd see what the Marine Corps had to offer, and I still remember his exact words, a rifle, a pack, and a hard time. (laughs) And I thought, oh, brother, this guy must think I just crawled out from under a rock. And I said, uh, well, I just thought I'd see. Well, anyway, he was really a good salesman, and I ended up joining the Marines. <laughs> I got on a train two weeks later from Roswell, came to Albuquerque, got on another train here in Albuquerque and headed to San Diego. I got off the train in San Diego, and by then I had decided I'd probably made a pretty big mistake. And so I was the last one off the train going through the Uh, train depot in San Diego, there was a guy behind the counter and I asked him, I said, where do you go if you're going to Marine Corps boot camp? And he kind of smiled and he said, right out those doors over there. And so I walked through those doors and there was a collection of guys. There were two groups of guys. One group was going to the Navy boot camp, which was in San Diego at the time. And then another group was going to the Marine Corps boot camp. And so I joined myself to the Marine group. And after a while, a long green bus came and made a U-turn and came and stopped right in front of us. And another wedge-shaped, sharp-looking Marine got off the bus and he came and stopped in front of us, stepped down right in front of us. And we all stopped because he looked, looked like a nice guy like what we'd seen at the recruiting station. He, got, he stopped right in front of us. We got quiet so we could be sure and hear what he had to say. And he said, get on the bus. <laughs> and, and he threw more expletives in that little short sentence than I'd ever heard in my life. Get on the bus. And he kept on screaming at us. And guys started getting on the bus. And I thought, there's no way they're going to get all of us on this one bus. So I put myself at the end of the group. They got us all on that one bus. I ended up sitting on the floor right in front of him. He's holding on to those two bars, screaming at us all the way to the recruit depot. Put your hands on your knees, head and eyes straight to the, you know, and and cussing at us. All the way to the recruit depot, we pulled up in front of a, 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 in a, a place that they had for the receiving us, and then he screamed, get off of the bus, and line up on them yellow footprints. They had yellow footprints painted on the asphalt. And so we lined up on them yellow footprints, and then after a while, he got off of the bus, and he was still, I don't know what all he was screaming, I can't remember, it was such a traumatic experience, and... <laughs> And then he said, now you're going to get a haircut. And he pointed at a door, which was the barber shop, and he said, I want you to line up at that hatchway. It was no longer a door. It was a hatchway. You're going to line up at that hatchway. And he used a really descriptive term for how close we were going to stand to each other. And when you get into that barber shop, if you've got a mole or a wart on your head, you put your finger on that mole or wart and say, Sarah Mole or Sarah Wart, because if you don't, they'll cut it off. 
So we were slowly inching our way toward the hatchway, and in a second I heard, ouch, shut up. And he came back to the hatchway, and he said, I said, if you got a mole or a wart on your head, they cut some dude's mole or wart off in there. So we got our hair cut. Then we went into it. We got issued some uh, initial issue of uniforms, and, and uh, we went into a place where we took all of our civilian clothing, everything that we had that would keep us connected to Roswell, New Mexico, or wherever we were from, and put them in a cardboard box and mailed them home. We lost all connection with home. That was sad. And then, then they, uh, a couple of hours later, I don't remember what they had us doing, but a couple of hours later, they had finally formed us into a platoon. There were 80 of us, and they had us standing. They had taught us the position of attention, and they had had us standing in four rows of 20 each, standing at attention. We'd been there for a good long time. And then I heard a voice from a little grassy knoll over here to the side, and this man said, I need a young wife. From now on, I'm going to be your wife. I'm going to be proud. You're going to be what I say. As soon as I say that. Had no idea what the guy was saying. What he said was, my name is Staff Sergeant Bakken. From now on, I'm going to be your mama. I'm going to be your papa. You're going to do exactly what I say as soon as I say it. How could we do that? We couldn't even understand him. Within three days, we could understand everything he said and anticipate it. You learn that kind of stuff. They put us in our racks. That, that's a bed. They put us in our racks for the night. The next morning, we were woken up with trash cans being thrown down the aisle, screaming us up to get up. That was the beginning of boot camp. Boot camp wasn't supposed to be fun. Boot camp was no fun. What is boot camp for? Boot camp is a time of trials and harassment and pain, and it's a time of training for a future life. Boot camp is getting you ready for things that are yet to come. Now, remember, Vietnam was just growing in 1966. And they had cut down the length of time for Marine Corps boot camp from 12 weeks down to eight weeks. So they had a lot of training to do in a shortened period of time. The other services had probably done the same thing. And so we had a lot to do in a short period of time. And they were rushing us through. And, and really, uh, the harassment part hadn't changed much. But, but they were trying to get us to do a lot. A lot of difficulty, a lot of pain, a lot of trials, a lot of harassment to get us ready for a future life. Now this life that we are living right here on earth is our boot camp in preparation for eternity. That's what it's for. While on this earth, we will undergo pain and harassment. It's going to happen. But you say, I thought if we gave our lives and our hearts to Jesus Christ that we're supposed to be happy all the time, that joy was supposed to be there all the time. 
Well, there's a difference between joy and happiness. But it's absolutely true that abundant life comes from knowing how to live in this boot camp for eternity. The joy can be a part of it no matter what the circumstances. But happiness comes and goes, as we talked about one time before, based on the circumstances of life. Let's look at our text. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of treatment, same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We notice, first of all, that life is rarely easy for anyone. Job 5, 7 says, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. You're going to have trouble. Even when you get saved. Uh, is there anybody in here who has accepted Christ and quit having trouble? Would you tell us how you did that? Doesn't happen. You're going to have trouble. As surely as sparks fly upward. Realizing it's rarely easy for anyone, what do we do? The first thing you do is never let down your guard. Look at that verse 8 again. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's watching for you to do stupid stuff, Satan is, so that he can Take advantage of that weakness and ruin your testimony, ruin your witness, and make you a poor excuse for a Christian. That's what Satan is doing. He wants to ruin your ability to do what God wants you to do. One time, our drill instructor, one of our other, so we had Sergeant Baca, we had Sergeant Cervantes. Sergeant Cervantes marched the 80 of us out and parked us on the, on the grinder, we called it, the parade deck, parked us standing at attention. Then he had us face right, and that put me in the front rank. Then he went away and stood behind the Quonset huts. I, he went behind the Quonset huts. I don't know what he's doing. But th this was not the first time he had done this. Sometimes he would leave us standing at attention, at the position of attention out there like that for a long time. And most of us by this time had developed mechanisms for dealing with such situations. And my mechanism was to think of funny stuff that had happened at some earlier time in my life. And in this particular case, I got to thinking of something funny that had happened back there when I'd been a youth minister or something. And, and the slightest smile cracked just because it was funny 
Sergeant Cervantes came running from behind the Quonset hut, came running right up to me and with both fists hit me in the abdomen, doubled me over and screamed at me. And first of all, screamed at me for breaking my position of attention. He hit me for crying out loud. And I stood back up and he said, Private Long, you don't smile in my formation. Equate that with the scripture we just read. The devil looking for you to make stupid mistakes. Sergeant Cervantes and the devil fit real well together. (laughs) He was watching for me to do, he was watching for anybody to do something stupid so he could take advantage of it. That's what the devil does. He watches for us to make stupid mistakes. He, we have the armor on that has been given to us, the armor of our faith. But when we do things that, that create weaknesses, we may have a, a place between the armor where Satan can stick his stiletto in and twist it and destroy our usefulness, you see. And so that's what he's watching for. So... What, he's, what we're saying is, don't do those things. Never let down your guard. We may think, well, it won't hurt if I go into that place just once. Satan will pounce. We may say, using ungodly language, well, is that really so bad? Satan will pounce. We may say, A little flirting really doesn't hurt, does it? Satan will pounce. Satan will look for that opportunity. Don't let him pounce on you. Don't let him destroy your testimony. Verse 9 says, resist him, meaning the devil, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Never let down your guard and realize you are not alone. You are not by yourself. There are lots and lots of people going through the same things that you're going through. On about the fourth day of boot camp, when all my muscles ached, I'd been dehumanized. I'd been called every name imaginable. I had slept very little compared to what I was used to. I wanted to give up. And some guys did. Some went AWOL, you know, did, did that sort of thing. But I recalled, I remember lying in my bunk one night after they'd finally turned out the lights. And i lay there and I thought, you know, really, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of guys have gone through this. If they can do this, I can do this. You're not alone. Lots of people have gone through what you're going through spiritually and what you're having to deal with. You can do this. You can hang in. Realize you're not alone. You, Christian, are not alone in life's dilemmas. Millions of Christians around the world are being persecuted in horrible ways for their faith. Hebrews 12 talks about a great cloud of witnesses who have undergone the same or worse than we are experiencing. And they are pulling for you even as Jesus himself makes intercession for you to God. They're they're saying, hang in there. You're not alone You have a 
pep squad pulling for you right now. They're on your side. They're cheering you on. So, how can we find joy in this boot camp called life with all the harassment and difficult times that are, that are going on that you may be facing right now? How can you possibly find joy? Well, it can be done. Understand that even the hard times can be rewarding. That great old hymn, Victory in Jesus, there's a thing called victory. There can be joy along the, uh, alongside the pain. I remember one time I came, came in near the front of our platoon on a seven-mile run, and I've never been a great athlete. I played all the sports, but I was somewhere else you know, like second or third string or something, but I enjoyed it. But this time I came in near the front on a seven mile run. And, and when they finally cut us loose and, and we got to go to bed that night, I just lay there in my cot and I hurt and I felt good because I had done well. Yeah, I hurt. You know, your body hurts when you do that stuff, but you have victory. You can, every time you defeat Satan, you have victory and you can just feel good that you've defeated Satan through the power of God in your life one more time. You just feel good. Humble yourselves, verse 6 says, therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Be humble before God, and he'll lift you up. In our spiritual warfare, our godly and earthly natures are fighting each other. With each defeat of Satan, we experience the exhilaration of victory in Jesus. Get to know Jesus in a victorious way every time we have another victory. Andre Crouch in his song, Through It All, says, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. We give them to Jesus. So we understand that even the hard times can be rewarding, and you put your whole heart into the task. You don't hold back. What is our task? Ephesians 6, 7 spells it out for us. It says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. The Lord will re reward you for the good that you do. Serve wholeheartedly. And he rewards effort. You may not do it perfectly every time. You may make mistakes, but God understands the heart. He looks on the inward man and knows what he wants you to do, knows what your attitude is, marries the two up, and he says, yeah, I got you. I understand what it is he, you're wanting to do. Randy Johnson was a, uh, you, I don't know if you can see this very well. This is four of us that had finished boot camp fairly, fairly soon. And uh, we were together from the day we got to boot camp until I got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, I, we all went to radio school together. We were in the same battalion in Vietnam. And uh, you can't tell which one's me, but it's the one with the ears sticking out. But if you look closely at the uniform, 
one of us doesn't have a marksmanship badge. It's because Randy Johnson, the little squirrely guy with the glasses, couldn't shoot the rifle very well. It's because his glasses were really thick. I'm the one on the far left, by the way. Randy was, uh, his glasses were really thick. On the rifle range at Bouquet, have you ever heard the expression, ever marine a rifleman? We're, we're big on shooting the rifle well. And when we were in boot camp, we went to the rifle range, and you fired your rifle from the 200, the 300, and the 500-yard line. 500 yards, that's almost a third of a mile. And you fired at a target that was six feet square, and behind the target was a hill, and under the target, there's a drop-off there, and there are two Marines under each target. There were 50 targets lined up, and you would fire at the target. The two Marines there were watching the hill behind it, and when a puff of dust came up, they would pull the target down. It was on a carriage, and they would stick a marker in the target. Then they would lift the target up, and you could see what you had just shot. And so Randy, though, with his glasses, he did okay from the 200 and the 300, but from the 500-yard line, he just couldn't see the target. And so he raised his hand, and the coach came over and said, What is it, Private Johnson? And Johnson said, Sir, the private can't see the target. And he said, Can you see anything down there, Johnson? And he said, Well, I can see kind of a white blur. And the coach said, Shoot it. <laughs> and so Randy pulls down with his, we were firing M14s in those days. Randy pulls down with his M14, and blam! The target doesn't go down. He missed the whole hill. There was no puff of dust. And so they called out, mark target one, mark target one, mark target one, mark target one. They pulled it down, stayed down a long time. They're looking for a bullet hole. It's not there. And then they raise it up, and they had a red flag on a long pole that had a real special name. And they, they ran that red flag in front of the target, which means total miss. Of course, that's really embarrassing. Everybody up and down the line can see that you got one of those. Try it again, Johnson. He shot again. Mark target one, mark target one. Down, back up, red flag. Did that several times. Then they got to noticing that every time Randy shot, target nine went down. <laughs> so, you know, he, he couldn't help it. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He just couldn't see well enough. So for those, there were just a very few out of the 80 of us, there were like six that didn't qualify. The other five were just not paying attention. Randy couldn't help it. So he didn't have to go through the harassment and so on that the other five did because Randy did it, gave it his best effort. He wasn't punished for lack of effort. Same thing with you and me. If we try our best, God knows what's going on in our heart. And he's going to understand. He'll understand and say, well done, is the old hymn. He'll understand. Give it your best shot. Or do you feel like you, somebody needs to tell someone you know about Jesus Christ? They just need to know about Christ. You tell them. Yeah, but I'll mess it up. No. Jesus Christ has you in that place for a reason. You tell him. Give it your best effort, and he will honor that. Don't, you know, God honors, God honors effort. Marine Corps boot camp comes in three phases. 
that first part of adjustment to a harsh new life, and then the feeling good part, learning what to do, getting our second wind, that can be pretty good. And then we come to the third part, that's preparation for graduation, the final inspections and so on. Remember, there will be a graduation day. That will come that glorious day when this boot camp for eternity will be over and we'll be free from bondage of this life's harshness. Some of us have hit that third quarter or that, that third piece of our boot camp. I'm 73 years old. I've probably got 12, 14 years. I'm taking my tests, getting ready. At graduation, get on to the next thing that God has. Boy, you should have seen us on graduation day. We marched with precision of one man. The people in the reviewing stands applauded our accuracy on the drill field. I was in the best physical shape of my life. And when the ceremony was over, a master sergeant called us Marines. We had earned the right to wear the uniform and the emblem of a United States Marine. On that heavenly graduation day, when that happens, we'll have a new, ageless, and painless, glorified body. We'll put on the uniform, the robe, the crown, and the slippers that God has for us. We'll hear God say those wonderful words, this child belongs to me. Come on in. That's our heavenly graduation. Christian, I encourage you today to make the most of your experiences throughout this boot camp called life, learning and growing so you can graduate with honors Listen to what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And we, Christian believer, graduate with honors. We assume our positions as children of the King, children of the King, joint heirs with Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. We're children of Almighty God. But let me back up for just a moment as we wind down to the end. Not everyone who goes through boot camp gets to graduate. Many just choose not to follow the plan. We're out on a force march one time at boot camp and a fellow by the name of Hawkins fell down. He had always been a little bit of a troublemaker and he fell down while we were doing our force march and Sergeant Cervantes came up to him, picked him up by his pack stood him up and start, gave him a shove and Cervantes pulled out his bayonet and started to get after Sergeant, I mean uh, uh, Hawkins, pulled out his bayonet and started to get after Sergeant Cervantes. Cervantes 
kicked the bayonet out of his hand and was really rough on Hawkins. The last time I saw Hawkins, he was on his way to the brig. The brig is the jail in, in uh, the Naval Service. He was, he was on his way out there, and he never got to graduate because he didn't follow the rules. He was an outcast. In this boot camp of life, now everyone will die, of course, but some will find themselves unable to participate in the graduation. They won't be able to do the ceremony because they rejected Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Let me ask you, where do you stand with Jesus today? Do you come to church because your spouse expects you to? You come to church because it's kind of what you grew up doing, but you don't really have that warm, personal relationship with Jesus Christ himself. Where do you stand with Jesus today? Is it a real, personal relationship? If you've never developed this personal relationship with him, let me urge you today to decide for Christ. Finish the course. Graduate with honors cheered on by the great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before. Those faithful martyrs of the early church will be smiling, holding out holy hands for you to touch as you go by on your way to your reward. There will be the Apostle Paul, Moses, Esther, Ruth, your own loved ones who've died in the faith, welcoming you to your home. Charles Spurgeon, Dwight Moody, R.A. and Martha Lee Long, and countless others cheering for you as they join you in celebrating your marvelous graduation from this boot camp called life. Thank you, Jesus, for making it all possible. Are you ready to graduate? When you graduate, will it be with honors? Where do you stand with him today? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you've never prayed to receive Christ, you can know him personally right now. You can invite him into your life, recognizing that you have sinned, And that all sin must be paid for by death. That's what the scripture says in Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. That's why Jesus died. He died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. So that you wouldn't have to spend eternity in spiritual death separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. You can invite Christ into your life right now by just saying, Jesus... I know you're the Son of God. I know you died to pay for my sins. Right now, I accept your death as payment for my sin and invite you into my life to be my Lord and my Master. Won't you come into my life right now? I give myself to you. Would you do that? Would you ask him to become your Lord and Master right now? He wants to so much. And then when that earthly time comes where you leave this life, he'll have a heavenly home prepared for you for all eternity. 
Father, I pray right now that if there are those in this room who need to receive you and establish that personal relationship, they will do it right now. That they'll talk to you and invite you into their lives. If there are Christians that need to renew and restore their relationship with you, it's gotten out of hand and it's time for them to get that straightened out that right now they'll talk to you and they'll say, oh Jesus, I'm so sorry. Please come back into your place on the throne of my life. I restore to you myself and I give myself afresh and anew to you. Father, if there are those in this room who need to join this church and start serving you in a mighty and a wonderful way here in this fellowship, I pray that they will do that as well. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now would you please stand? And if you need to make a decision for Christ, I invite you to come. We'll have counselors down here at the front to make your way to an aisle and come right up here and talk to one of these counselors. The rest of you, if you would bow your heads and continue to pray that decisions will be made according to God's will and God's way for just the next few moments, we'll pray and ask God to work during this time of decision that His mighty will and mighty word will not be in vain. Are you where you need to be in your relationship with Christ? Are you comfortable that it's just where it needs to be? It can be such a sweet, sweet fellowship as you restore that relationship with Him or as you give yourself to Him in the first time. Father, I thank you for the sweet love that we experience by being together as a community of believers. Thank you for your goodness to us. And thank you that we have confidence that you will love us no matter what the circumstances and that we can experience the joy of our salvation wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Thank you for loving us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Next week, we will continue our series on attitudes and actions of a Christian as we look at three attitudes, the third one having to do with being thankful as we prepare to, to uh, spend the week in Thanksgiving. Thank you. You're dismissed.